I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Lots of good stuff in the readings uh, this week. Um, my own reflections have sort of dug into this, uh, the, the word righteousness, which appears both in the gospel and in Isaiah. And um, I, I, I love these old words, like wickedness last week, which I'd like to bring back. I like righteousness, too. It is, it is, there's that moral clarity to it. You understand instinctively what righteousness feels like. And really, my thoughts are around the Isaiah reading, where Isaiah is pointing out a disconnect between the cultic practices, the religious observances of the nation of Israel, and its lived righteousness, its ability to care for the widow, the orphan, the poor, the outcast, the stranger. And in my own reflections, of course, I always take it as a given that the ancients were no different than us. I mean, we know this in terms of evolutionary theory. We are not different species than the folks that lived 2,000, 2,500 years ago. Um, What we have is a different culture. Our culture has developed, um, but biologically no different at all. And when you look at that issue of the disconnect between uh, our religious practice and our behavior, that is no different than the challenges anybody faces today with what their, um, their espoused values might be and how their behavior might work out. Um, and we know all kinds of examples of hypocrisy um, from our own experience. I, I don't need to list them for you to have your own examples of people who say one thing and then behave in exactly the opposite way. And so Isaiah rightly points this out. But what's interesting to me um, is not the idea that people are wicked and they need to be righteous. That's the easy thing. And and normally, if we're honest, what we really want is for everybody else to be a bit more righteous, not not for me to be a bit more righteous. It's it's those other people that are the wicked ones. And and that's the hook that got me thinking. So if this is going to be spiritually useful to us, I think the question is, how is it that we still have a gap between our values and our behavior because we always do we always do and we're no different and the same thing that Isaiah is pointing out is still true of us today and so I was trying to get into the architecture of that disconnect how is it that normal ordinary people become so disconnected between their values and their behavior and I think that's because there are there are a couple of things about us that are to borrow um later language, a part of our unredeemed natural selves. We're, we're, we're creatures. We're, organizing, we're, we're, we're organisms that are not too much different from the chimps and the other animals that we are related to. And by instinct, instinct we are selfish. Um, and this business of moving from a self-centered orientation to an other-centered orientation is the spiritual movement. And it is counterintuitive. It is not natural. It is supernatural. Um, the, uh, the, the, the natural instincts are always to ask, what is this doing for me? 
And so I imagine the ancient Israelites going to the sacrifices and saying, oh, that felt like a really good sacrifice today. That really fed me spiritually. Um, but the, the, that was a new priest. His technique wasn't that great. There was blood everywhere. And, you know, they, they really need, the older guy needs to take him in hand and do that a bit better. But the singing was great today. Oh, yes, it was. I can just hear all of that being no different than our experience of seeking some kind of spiritual connection. So we gather and we pray together and we, 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 we're looking for something for ourselves here. Of course we are. It is absolutely natural. The, the challenge of our tradition is that it always pushes us past that. Of course we start there. It is natural. It's not a bad thing to start from a self-centered place. It is the place we all start. But the tradition is always trying to move us from self-centeredness to other-centeredness. And so Isaiah points the finger and castigates Israel and reminds it of its stated values and says we need to do better with our lived values matching our stated values. And so it is for people of faith ever since. There's a, um, that, that, so it starts with a natural disconnect. Naturally, we're selfish. It takes work to be less selfish. Um, secondly, we're really good at fooling ourselves. Um, our selfishness is insidious. And, we, and, and, and being clever is no defense. In fact, it's a bit of a liability. I mean, I, I think of myself as a clever person, and I am really good at rationalizing my own negative behavior and saying, it's actually a really good thing that I'm doing. And my mind is not an ally, because my heart and my gut is driving the train. Um, I, I've learned this nowhere more than in my own marriage, when I'm just grumpy at her, and but I'm right, you know, and I'll give you all the reasons that I'm right, and I'll argue her into the ground, and it's not helping the relationship for some reason, and I don't know why. <laughs> but, but what's really happening is that my little vulnerable inner self is hurt and wanting to be connected and upset, and my mind is justifying all that and, and, and manifesting in this behavior of control and coercion and guilt-tripping and all the things that wreck relationship, and I've had to work really hard at not doing that, at getting past the mind, which is very useful in some ways, but not in this way, and digging into the heart and saying, where, you know, what do I deeply desire, and what do you deeply desire? and how is that drawing us together instead of pushing us apart? Very important. But it takes work because, we, because I lie to myself all the time. And in our religious life, we do the same thing. We say, you know, and we want to feel good about ourselves and that's part of the narcissism. I, I learned a new word a year or two ago, a different kind of narcissism, which was mine. And it was eudaimonic narcissism. Never heard of that before, but there's a, there's a test you can take online for it, and thankfully, I'm a little older now, so I was wise to it, and I didn't come up as a eudaimonic narcissist, but I look back on myself in my 20s and 30s, and oh no, there it was. And, and the, you know, I'm going to make a difference in the world. I'm going to do something good with my life. The Lord has called me to make a difference. And there's a very short step from that very good place of seeking to be beneficial to the world and saying, only I can make the difference that the world needs. You see, you see the little shift, right? And now it's all about me. I am special. Like the ancient Israelites who were telling themselves, we are special, we are God's chosen people, God gave us these sacrifices and we can do the sacrifices and we can feel close to God and we can tell ourselves messages about ourselves. 
And how often is that the energy that drives the religious observance or other observances? I mean, in the secular world, I can pick on them, but I'm not going to do it today. But they do the same thing we do. Um, secularists, when they talk about their values and they have messages that they tell themselves, it manifests on social media. But we do the same thing as religious people. We have values in the scriptures that we know and that intuitively we are attracted to and we want righteousness. We want the world to be righteous. We want others to be righteous. And at some level, we want ourselves to be righteous. But one of the things we do is that we convince ourselves that we are because we would feel bad about ourselves if we admitted that we weren't righteous. And so there's a whole psychology within the religious universe of telling ourselves messages about ourselves and lying to ourselves about how we are closer to God than we actually are. And so I am, for that reason, very attracted to the penitential tradition in our own tradition. We say a confession every week, and I do it to you because I need it for me. I, I'm the one that needs to remind myself that, yeah, I, did a, I had a pretty good week, but it could have gone better, and it's okay to admit that, and God loves me anyway. And that's the place to say, yes, I am a sinner, but my values and my lived behaviors still don't match. God loves me anyway, and I'm still going to try to be honest about that and work towards that goal of the kingdom. So we lie to ourselves, we convince ourselves, oh, yes, there's a little anecdote that I wanted to share with you. Um, uh, I met a great scholar um, in my early ministry, a guy named Hannah Cassis, and uh, very notable in the Islamic world. He was a Christian and an Anglican, um, but his scholarly contribution, um, I, I don't want to go too far, He's, it's an amazing piece of work. He basically invented the first concordance for the Koran. Um, and, and it was because Islam hadn't taken the steps in its development that Christianity did. And Hannah said the reason Christianity moved into this deeper understanding of its biblical material, it started with a concordance when people could start to compare and contrast different re, um, passages with each other. And so you had a numbering system that allowed you to do that quickly and easily. And you can say John 3.16 and everybody knows what you're saying. So he did that for the, um, the Quran. And so he was deeply... Uh, steeped in the language, the Arabic language and the, and the Hebrew language, um, the, the biblical language, and he used the word righteous as a swear word. That's all I was getting to. Um, because of his deep scholarly appreciation for these languages, he used righteous as a swear word, and I said, you know, oh, that guy, he's so righteous. And I went, Hannah, you know Sadiqim. Sadiq is the, the root. He says, oh yeah, that's a different word. This, this is English righteous. This is self-righteous. That's what that one is. But if I, if I mean the good righteous, I mean Sadiq. And I, I say it in the original language. Okay, fine, Anna, be that way. Um, but but that, that, little, um, that little digression illustrates how easily righteousness itself can be co-opted into self-righteousness. Um, and the self-righteousness is that message telling to ourselves that we want to live into because at some level we are still afraid that we are not worthy that if we admit that we are unrighteous, that we will somehow be rejected and unlovable and unloved. So the, the movement to bring together the, the, the stated values and the behaved values starts for me with an acknowledgement of penitence, of repentance, of admitting who we are and not playing mental games with ourselves and being open to the feedback of others when we don't want to hear it, because usually that's the first we've heard of it. Um, we're so busy telling ourselves our own message that the first time we learn about some quality that may not be ideal, in my case, it's usually my spouse 
that points it out. Um, she's usually right. I don't usually want to hear it. Um, but good friends can serve that as well. They say, I love you. I care about you. I'm not going anywhere. And you suck right now. <laughs> Just saying, right? And that is a profound gift of love. And yes, I suck right now. I'm sorry I suck. And I'm going to try to suck less. <laughs> Can't promise I'm not going to suck. But I, I can promise to try to suck less. And that's basically theological development in a nutshell. Um, uh, so, so to get away from the Israel that quarrels and fights and strikes with a raised fist, I didn't get that quote exactly right. Um, there's our version of that in modern, civilized, uh, highly developed cultures. Oh, um, that's the last point I wanted to share with you. The, the, the last part of the anatomy of how that breaks down is the, is the process of culture itself. And, and I, I, I did a little um, digging on the word culture and cult because, of course, in Isaiah, it's the cult versus the, the, the morals. That's the clear distinction. But cult is related to culture in, through the Latin. Um, and, it, and the connections, even though they're English connections, not Hebrew connections, indicate some relatedness of ideas. And cult is related to cultivate um, and, and culture. And it's all part of the same root. And the root has to do with what you devote yourselves to, what you pay attention to. So you devote yourself to a plot of land and you pay it care and attention to it and you cultivate something that grows out of the land. You, you, you've devoted yourself to it. A, a cult that is devoted to a cult leader is devoted to the cult leader. A culture, a religious culture, the question about any religious culture is where is your devotion going? And, and is it a culture of telling yourself messages about yourself? Have you institutionalized that and made it the way that you behave as a community? That what we do when we come together is to tell ourselves messages about ourselves. If we've done that, then our, our cultivation is in the wrong direction. We are cultivating something else. So the question for me in avoiding the problems of Isaiah and not falling into the traps that I have seen and participated in again and again and again, the question for me is the question of cultivation so that the cult matches the praxis. If the cult matches the practice, it's because you're cultivating the same things in both places or that the cult, the worship, the, the, the cultic behavior is an act of cultivation of the, the behaviors that you really care about. And so you come to liturgy, you come to sacrament, you come to worship. The, the, the liturgy, the sacrament of the worship is an act of cultivation. We are asking God to be present in us and draw us closer to those ideals that we instinctively desire both in others and ourselves. And, and of course, the last point is that this is a paradoxical movement. It is about the way of the cross. It is the foolishness. Paul is going on this week again about the world's wisdom and the, the true wisdom. And the true wisdom looks like foolishness because it's about self-emptying. It is about that way of the cross that, that, that humbles yourself and abases yourself and before the presence of God, not because you are unworthy, but because you know how broken you are. And you know how broken you are, and yet you are loved, and God is here to help us become healed and whole. And that is inseparable from that movement, from self-centeredness to love. 
This is the journey we're on. And the more we move out of our selfishness and into love, the more whole we become, both as individuals and as a community. And so you get to the psalm, finally, where the righteous are full of blessings. Because blessings abound for the righteous, because you have relationships of love with yourself, with your spouse, with your children, with your community, with your friends. And and those relationships of love create a virtuous cycle which abound in blessing upon blessing upon blessing. doesn't mean you're out of the human condition, but it does mean it's a qualitatively different life experience than if you stay in your infantile narcissism where we all start and with which we still struggle to this day. But it can be done. It does happen. I have experienced that kind of grace that has pulled me out of that dust and ashes and into a place of grace and love and fullness. And you have as well. And we are all a part of that. And I see it day to day in this community and beyond. Thanks be to God. Amen.